Welcome to the Disruptor Series podcast, where we listen to and learn from the people who are disrupting business, culture, and life. Here's your host, Rob Schwartz, CEO of TBWA Shiat Day New York. All right. Well, welcome, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to the Disruptor Series podcast. Uh, we have disrupted ourselves. We actually have, we have lunch before us, which you can't see. This, If only there was smelling radio, this would be amazing because it smells delicious because we have Dennis Tursinovic. Did I do it right? Yes, you did. Dennis, that's how you pronounce it? Correct. Tursinovic, yes. Dennis Tursinovic, who is the owner and managing partner of Delmonico's Restaurant Group, and he's with his colleague, Karen Serafian, who's the director of sales and marketing. And you two guys are here for the famous restaurant, Delmonico's. Yes, we are. Excellent. Excellent. So is there something special happening at Delmonico's this year? Yes, there is. We're celebrating uh, 180 years of fine dining in America. Uh, we are the first establishment to use the French term restaurant, which is um, to say that we are the first and oldest restaurant in the oldest United restaurant. States. That's United amazing. States. So what's interesting to me is uh, you guys are original disruptors, meaning that the convention was, I don't know what, what did people do before restaurants? I don't know, Karen, what? Or well, who? they ate at home or they ate in either an inn or a tavern. Um, there was no such thing as a restaurant, if you can imagine. When the Delmonico brothers actually came here from Switzerland, they were astounded because in Europe, there were many, many restaurants and wonderful cuisine and wines. And when they arrived in the United States, they were really shocked to see that there was not one restaurant anywhere in the country. Um, and that's really how they started their journey. Uh, and when we speak about restaurants, we're talking about a la carte dining. So prior to restaurants, you had your taverns, your right. bars, your inns. Um, you know, Franz's Tavern dates back to the 1700s. Um, you know, Delmonico's brothers first came here. They actually offered printed menus and, you know, uh, tablecloths and, and, and a wine cellar that boasted over 26,000 wines. Wow. So it was just unbelievable. Without any running water or electricity, uh, you know, creating a restaurant that when they opened, they had over 300 menu items on it. Wow. And uh, obviously with no, you know, sewage or running water, I just can't imagine, you know, us, we're running a restaurant with about 75 items in the menu and we're, you know, a big task to get, you know, to get through the business. So, so uh, a big first, challenge. Yeah. So first restaurant, uh, first to use tablecloths, first to create Eggs Benedict. Eggs yep. Benedict. Baked lobster Alaska. Baked Alaska. Lobster Newburgh. First restaurant to put a hamburger on the menu. More importantly, first restaurant to have a female cashier. Wow. And first restaurant to allow women to dine independently without men. So they were really disruptors, uh, those two brothers. Absolutely. And, I mean, today uh, it's an icon. I mean, it's 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 part of the New York experience, right? It is. Uh, We definitely are a destination here in Manhattan, and we do get a lot of visitors that come in and you want to want to be, we're at the original location, which is an amazing thing, and they want to get to feel the experience and how it was and the stories of, you know, of all the notable social socialites and poets, Charles uh, Dickens, Mark Twain, presidents, every sitting president, to you know all these famous folks that actually created history and dined with us. Now, with the current sitting president. Did you guys have enough ketchup for him? It was okay. Oh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. He He'll, hasn't visited us. He yet. hasn't visited us yet. <laughs> All right, well, you got that to look forward to. The other thing I thought was very interesting 
you know, going back to the disruptive nature of the company, of the restaurant, um, it was the first uh, farm-to-table correct right. restaurant. Well, many of the items that the brothers were um, used to having in uh, Europe were not available in the United States. Mm. So, like, for example, artichokes, eggplants, um, they were foreign to Americans. So the brothers decided to purchase a plot of land, which is now in the area that's Williamsburg, and start their own farm so that they could have these items available at the restaurant to serve to their guests. During the, during the season, and, and they do a lot of their fishing and a lot of their cattling in upstate and, and, and you know, up, up upwards of, of Manhattan and, and, and the outskirts. So, um, you know, they, uh, Lorenzo was a avid fisherman up in, in the lakes and used to bring his fish when he used to go fishing. And obviously, you know, Water Street was not there, so you, everything was local. Everything right. was local. Whatever they caught there on the spot, you know, to to the to Ben Wenberg when he walked onto the boat, you know, with with the first lobster, lobster telling Charles Randhoffer, which is the first celebrity chef that wrote the Epicurean, telling him, "Hey, listen, I got this great dish that's served a little brandy and cognac and cayenne pepper, you know, lobster uh, Newberg." And now is the farm still working for the restaurant? The no, no, no the farm's no longer there. I think uh, it's condos. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, the good news is, is that they're not fishing out of the East River either. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, <laughs> so things are definitely, uh, you know, evolved. Though the water is getting cleaner. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Interesting. You know, I always wondered, and I think other people have too, who was that first person who said, hey, we can eat this thing when they saw the lobster? I mean, uh, you know what? I think that Delmonico's definitely did popul- uh, did uh, popularize the uh, the lobster dish, and, and there's a good story behind it. With you know, I just mentioned before, where there was a wealthy sea captain, and they had gotten into an argument with the uh, with the uh, Ranhoff because he was always drinking cognac mm. while he was out in the water. And, and just just tell us who Ranhoff so, was. Sorry, apologies. Uh, Charles Ranhoff is the first uh, first chef. Uh, the first celebrity chef in the United States that wrote the book uh, the, the Epicurean that which worked is the at very first cookbook. And he created all the. I knew dishes. that. I just wanted to make sure that the kids <laughs> at home were paying attention. So um, this sea captain brought a lobster into Delmonico's and said, "I'd like. I've heard of different ways of preparing it. Can you prepare it with cognac and cream?" And um, the chef said, "Absolutely." And he created it. And not only did he create it just for um, Captain Wenberg, but he then put it up on the menu, and it became very, very popular with the regular guests. Unfortunately, um, Captain Wenberg and Charles Ranhofer, the chef, had a huge falling out, Mm. and the uh, chef banned him from the restaurant and also banned his dish from the menu. But people were up in arms because they loved that lobster dish. So what they did was they actually put it back on the menu, but they changed the name from Wenberg to Newberg so it wouldn't be recognizable and have... It's Captain not the Wenberg's old Berg, name. it's the new Berg. Exactly, no, I like it. exactly. Yeah, yeah. I like it. And the chef used to name a lot of dishes after either uh, customers or current events. So Baked Alaska was named after the purchase of Alaska from the wow. Russians. And Eggs Benedict was named after a frequent guest that used to dine there that asked the chef to make something different. And her last name was La Benedict. Ah. That's where that came from. Oh, good. I'm glad it wasn't Benedict Arnold. Right. Then, People but, think that. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure. Now, before us, but you can't see out there in podcast land, we got a we got a Delmonico steak in front of us, two of them, and there's some cream spinach, and there's some looks like sautéed spinach. Right. Sure. Really this good. is something we uh, brought over to you for a little taste. Uh, our ribeye Delmonico steak is in butcher shops would be known as the boneless ribeye, 
um, that made famous at the restaurant at 56 Beaver Street, as well as the New York Strip, which wow, was nice. named at the restaurant as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm. And, uh, you know, spinach just as a accommodation and... We make an amazing cream spinach. I'm going to go for a bite. Sautéed spinach for those of us that are on a diet. (laughs) These guys haven't had lunch, but I'm going to try it. Oh, yeah. Well, that's amazing. (laughs) That's amazing. I just realized that that's probably the official spinach of heaven. That's really really good. Now, you guys, feel free to dive in. I don't want to uh, hold anybody up here. Um, I read an interesting uh, fact here, uh, which... I want to unpack with you guys. The fact is that there are apparently over 970,000 restaurants in America. 970,000. And we're going to get to New York in a, in a second. It's a $632 billion industry, roughly, give or take. Give or take a billion or few. Mm-hmm. How is it possible that you guys have been around for 180 years? I mean, like, why do you think you guys have survived? You know, I think the term restaurant was kind of, had been taken from Delmonico's and kind of move towards any type of establishment that turns into uh, anything that you serve food with, right? So I would personally say a restaurant is a place that has tablecloths and has, um, you know, kind of a, a more of a menu and a setting. You know, McDonald's has, you know, restaurant written on their on all of their stores and they hold mm-hmm. it proud. But I would say a restaurant is more of the, the, the French style of how kind of we, of how people had began to eat. Um, all right, well, hold on. Then I need to add some more drama. <laughs> I've got drama for you. Seventy percent of restaurants that make it in their first year close by year three. Seven zero, seventy yeah. percent. Now, I'm going to give you more drama. Ready for some more drama? In New York alone, uh, twenty-four thousand restaurants just in Manhattan. That might include fast food establishments, sure. um, but twenty-four thousand—that's a lot. Um, what I read was that there was an eighty percent fail rate. So again, whether or not we want to say tablecloths are the uh, you know defining right. factor right, that right. keep us open, that's right. not true. Eighty percent fail rate in New York City, but you guys are going to celebrate one hundred and eighty years incredible. in business. What the hell are you guys doing right? Um, I think what we do is, and, and Karen will agree, and maybe I'm doing a lot of talking here, but um, we definitely do serve uh, food in our. We have an amazing chef, first off, Billy Oliva, um, and we prepare foods that are. You know, more complex and that you wouldn't be able to get in your in an average home. So we, you know, attract folks to the to the restaurant in that way. By the way, so so one one secret you could say is that uh, you may see a recipe on BuzzFeed that you can go make. Right. You're not going to see a Delmonico's well, recipe on BuzzFeed. I mean, I think I think most importantly is that we offer a quality product. We always have. I mean, from day one. There are items there that are unique to Delmonico's and very high quality. Also, the fact that we are there 180 years shows that we've endured, you know, whether it's the Depression or Prohibition, um, 9-11, Hurricane Sandy, and we've reinvented ourselves. Mm. So although we've had these ups and downs, and which may have caused a lot of other restaurants to close, we were able to endure that for 180 years. Of course, there were time. There was a time during that 180 years where we were closed for a certain period of time. It hasn't been the same ownership. Um, There's been only three three, three owners. owners in 180 uh, but, years. But 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 chronic reinvention. Because I think you know. Again, we have a lot of listeners who are you know clients of ours. We have we have um, you know people in our industry. You know in terms of marketing. And again, we're looking for for insights and learnings. And I think it's very interesting because. 
when you guys say 180 years, it's not dissimilar to a lot of financial institutions. So a lot of times if you look at a bank, oh, we've been around since 1837, there's always this um, tension, which is do we leverage that we've been around, which, yeah, that's okay, but I think something you guys said that's really important and smart is it's, yes, we've been around, but there's chronic reinvention. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, do you feel like that's part of your... Kind of daily. Well, you know what? It's thinking. it's it's about the hundred eighty day trials. Uh, you know, hundred eighty day uh, stake that we're doing now. That's something very different. You know, Ida did a big, um, did big big drum on us. Stake, by the way. Um, it's about doing stuff. You know, we have a pastrami that's been sitting in our in our uh, in our combi oven, which is a, you know, a, it's a, a. By the way, this yeah. steak I'm cutting. I'm sorry, I mean to cut you off. This is like pretty amazing. This looks like a... That's a Delmonica steak. Yeah, yeah this, our, this looks like it's... So good. You're going to love really it. Really <laughs> perfectly done here. Like, uh, look at that. Who and wants it, to... And, it, and it traveled. It traveled all the way from... traveled all the way from... Wow. <laughs> That's really good. So I think what Dennis was trying to say is that we, we're always trying to think outside the box. Because, like you said, there is a challenge sometimes because we are 180 years. We don't want to be seen as a, a relic or just because we're a, a legendary institution that we're not staying current. So we're constantly thinking of new ways to brand Delmonico's and think outside the box. And for our 180th anniversary, um, we really did come up with quite a few different things that you wouldn't expect, for example, like that plate um, is going to be our new show plate in the dining room. And instead of doing a very traditional plate with a crest, which we had, um, we actually commissioned a cartoonist from The New Yorker to come up with a different design. And it's really very unusual for a steakhouse to have something that sort of modern and whimsical. Yeah, it's charming. Thank Are you going to sell these too, or it's just a... um, Well, part of our 180-day um, celebration is we've dry-aged a steak for 380 days. And as part of the... Um, 180 days. I mean, 180 days. Uh, hundred No, 180 years, but and 180 years and 180 days um, we've been dry-aging yeah. it. So every person that purchases steak... We'll get a, um, a Lennox, commemorative one of these Lennox, Lennox plates, yeah. and those were made exclusively cool. for us. Yeah. And then is it going to be a hundred and eighty dollar dinner, or it's three hundred and eighty? Okay, good. Yeah. Excellent. So you're thinking about the future. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> correct. <laughs> very but, good. But uh, in and with the one eighty, we will have uh, you know different chefs throughout the city, very well known, famous chefs creating dishes that Delmonico's that that made that they were inspired by Delmonico's, and we're putting some of their dishes on our menu, which includes Danny Meyer. Um, Thomas Keller, uh, Michael, Michael White, White, so uh, Danny Blue, Siri Maccioni, owner operator chefs, and right. they'll be putting. Uh, we have some really cool items that are going to be going on the menu that'll be changing up and menu items that inspired them. Uh, it's like from, a tribute from, menu, like an yeah. homage, a love letter to Delmonico's. Yeah, it's great. Cool. Now, do you feel that um, is New York still the epicenter of restaurant culture? Do you think? I mean. Uh, where are the best ideas coming from? Is it is it West Coast? Is it East Coast? Is it New York? Is it elsewhere? What do you think? Yeah, I think there's a lot everywhere really going on. California is, is, is booming Calif right California's now. Booming Everyone's up. opening up in L.A. Chicago is always yeah. doing Miami's something. Miami's hot. <clears throat> you know, it's 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 the five major, five or six major, mm -hmm. uh, you know, cities that are really booming. 
But in terms of like uh, food ideas, like if you look at uh, Mama Fuko, for example, or I mean, where are you guys, you know, again, as, 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 as chronic reinventors, what's some of your um, uh, inspirations? Like, where do you look? From you know, a culinary standpoint, yeah, or yeah. well, I think you know we look to see what's what's going on, you know, in New York. What's you know trending right now? What's trending all over the world? I mean, that's really and, our chef's responsibility. He's mm-hmm. the one that's very good with coming up with different dishes and following trends. And we set some of the smaller trends and do some really fun stuff with it, and you know, kind of recreating or. You know, you know, hatching up history and, and recreating some of the dishes in a different style. So we do some of that stuff. You yeah. know, we, you know, you have crab cake. We do crab cake eggs Benedict, or we do, you know, baked Alaska, which is a very famous dessert. We, you know, play it, you know, or play it up, bacon. and yeah, we have our own in-house cured bacon. Like I said, we we're always evolving and, and trying new new things, which, which is really cool and interesting. I would, if I was running the restaurant, I would just put bacon with everything. We have uh, the best bacon the in the city. Bacon. Yeah, we have the best amazing. bacon in the city. I and know. it's a big process. You you couldn't make it anywhere else but in our in our house. It takes a good ten days to make it. So, yeah, well, I, I'm even like Oscar Mayer bacon. I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> so am I. Once you have this, you'll never have Oscar yeah. Mayer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> Very interesting. So the other thing that I thought was really powerful about the Delmonico's brand. So above and beyond the food, above and beyond the restaurant, but the brand, uh, Delmonico's. You know, it's it's an icon of New York. Um, you know, you mentioned France's Tavern. Uh, you know, at, 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 at one time there was, you know, Tavern on the Green. You know, Delmonico's is like one of those iconic restaurants. And I love the fact that it appears in pop culture. So, for example, I love the book The Alienist, one most wonderful crime books, uh, historical crime books ever written. And, of course, uh, you know, Dr. Chrysler's favorite restaurant is Delmonico's. Yeah. Uh, it's you, on TNT. It's actually they're, they. It's a series starting, series starting January. January. I heard yeah. they called the Alienist, yeah. and they created a room for Delmonico's. All right. So were you guys involved in the TNT show? We actually we are doing their uh, their party. We're doing their. Uh, we'll be doing one of their parties. Either yeah. The, the either premiere the, the premiere or. They should have had you guys doing craft services. I mean, you guys <laughs> would have been amazing. <laughs> would have been through the roof. They actually filmed a budget. lot of it, I think, in Europe. Oh yeah? yeah, yeah. A lot of it was filmed in yeah. Europe. Yeah. So on something like that, are you guys? Is there an intellectual property that has to, you know, be given? You guys are just like you're along for no, the ride. This we, show is going to get famous. It's going to continue our fame. And you we're know, sort of like, like Kleenex, or you know, it's like Delmonico's is just like a name that everyone knows, and um, it's like America's first restaurant. So, so. no one's asking you for additional revenue streams. No. <laughs> no, I mean we do we 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 do have some products on you know on, on in distribution now we have we carry steak sauces salad dressings marinades we have tomato sauces we have plates pots pans we have a bunch of stuff um, that's on the market uh, right now that we do pretty well with so yeah, we we do we do benefit from that as well but this uh, this pop culture because I want to talk about lawn extension in a minute but um, so in the alienist though I think it is you know uh, it's part of the story and you can almost smell the dishes as you read. Uh, the book. The other place I saw it show up, I, I don't know, randomly, I was on a flight and I watched this show, Blue Bloods, which, oh, yeah. um, I mean, really, there was nothing else on this, so I had to watch a network television show. <laughs> um, but it's not a bad show. Uh, but what's interesting is that Delmonico's is kind of like one of those places where this chief commissioner, uh, Tom Selleck, Sure. Uh, like, that's where they hang. He loves it. Yeah. yeah. And- now, is this something that the showrunners... 
they just write it in? You guys are cool with it? Do they come to you? Well, they come to us. We probably get mm, two or probably like three or four uh, solicitations a month asking us to film, whether it's a historical um, show right. or something more commercial so, or a movie or um, so, so TV. We, we did do, we did, um, I've, I've dabbled in the uh, film business for a bit of, with a friend of mine, so we did meet a lot of location folks. and. Mm. But um, we were in a lot more than, you know, just the Blue Bloods. I mean, we've been in, I don't know, probably since we've been there for 18 years. Uh, Money, uh, Money uh, Monster, Jodie Foster's uh, movie. Jodie Foster's Money, from Boardwalk Empire to Blue Bloods to some movies with Adam Sandler. Yeah, and The Cobbler, So we're yeah. always on something, mm-hmm. commercials, Cadillac. And, mm-hmm. you know, the building is so beautiful. It's like a mini flat iron building. Right. It's such a great location, and it's such a you know beautiful interior to shoot for a director because it's got really high ceilings mm. and the dining room is really gorgeous so we we get commissioned a lot there, there's so many things that we shoot and and you know uh remember the ladies of enron at one, one point we were, we were shooting uh i don't know we were shooting just like so so many things whether it was news related or whatever it was there was there was so many so many things that we shot on there well, be good. Maybe, maybe maybe it's time that, that we created a show about Delmonico's. Well, that's that kind is. of uh, we actually a friend of mine had written a script uh, based on Charles Ranhofer because there's nothing on TV right now that is really chef based. Hmm. That is, um, you know, talks about a chef that's been through this, you know, not about Delmonico's, but really about the chef that's created all these dishes and has to deal with all this drama of being an actual chef. And be a great pitch for for a huge network because there's so much to tell in the story. Yeah, you got animals being slaughtered inside of the streets with no sewage. You got him probably killing off people in the kitchen because back then it was it was normal to you know right <laughs> guy coming from France. He he, he took no uh, you know he took <laughs> Johnny has no, uh, screwed up the potatoes <laughs> off with your head exactly. exactly. Um, and then you know creating the famous dishes and having a life and having a hotel in in France and. I think so it's what's just going to happen with that? You guys going to make a show? Yeah, I think we're going to make a show. We just got to write, find the right people and partners to do it with. And we're working on something right now that may hit. And if it does, I think it's going to be a big success. Yeah, it seems. Uh, it seems like just the story's so amazing. Yeah. Uh, it needs to be told. Absolutely. I mean, obviously, a lot of people are going to listen to this podcast. But <laughs> that said, no, it is. It, it, it is. It is a really amazing story, um, which is cool. So you mentioned a bit about line extensions. So what so what products that are in the restaurant you guys want to see on the Whole Foods shelf? Because basically Amazon and Whole Foods is going to be the only supermarket we're going to have. So we currently are um, we are on in many specialty supermarkets across the United States. Um, we uh, obviously we are with with Whole Foods and with Shoprite and with a lot of these uh, Fairway. fairways and. and uh, we do carry about 12 or 13 uh, uh, shelf-stable products. Uh, we're working on moving our meat and doing a added value kind of on our hand-selected beef and some of the mm. meat, some programs with meat as well, um, doing some hand-selected items, obviously, and, you know, licensing our pots and pans, and, and, and you know, we do, we do a lot of work with that as well. Wow. So there's a lot, and we're doing well with it, so I think that's going to be uh, going to work out for us. Well, I think um, what's, and maybe you, you know, maybe you illuminate this to uh, to the audience. I mean, uh, why do you think the pots and pans are doing well? Why, like, what's what's happening? Well, so our business is, we're, we have an amazing business. We put out a you know really good service, and you know Delmonico's is like you know it's so funny. We have these old Villaroy and Bach charger plates on our table, and I have people offering me like three hundred dollars for a piece of history. 
Hmm. So they know that Delmonico's is worth so much because, you know, it's like they're almost buying something that's going to become valuable. Just like when my mother bought, you know, her, her Lennox plates or her uh, Villaroy plates and all of a sudden I broke one in my kitchen and I go to buy one and she paid $20 for it. I have to pay $260 for one plate. I guess that's the feeling for Delmonico's. It's the same because I can't buy back some of the artifacts that the original artifact Delmonico's had as well. We had um, we had um, uh, Brandon Steiner, uh, Steiner Sports, sure. as part of our, our program. And, uh, you know, he took the dirt at Yankee Stadium and he took the grass at Yankee Stadium and he packaged it. And I think in some ways, if I think about that and I think about you guys, it is really packaging stories. And I think, again, as you think about... Uh, why you can defy the 80% fail rate, uh, part of it is that people seem to be buying into this story. That's true. They buy into this story, and it's a great story, and it really is a good feeling when you walk in through a door. It is family-owned and operated, so, which is great. My, yeah. You know, my dad is, is, is uh, you know, the owner, and it just feels good to be on the helm of, of America's First. It's amazing. Yeah, I think, I think that, uh, that storytelling piece... Uh, is what makes uh, the food's amazing, the room's amazing, all yeah, that stuff. But right. for a um, the marketing story. Oh, everybody that walks walk in the door. I mean, every day when I turn that key and I I walk in the door and I say, "Wow, I cannot believe that." Even after ten years, I get excited because I think about all the people that have passed through those doors and have dined with us and all the innovation and firsts and. It's just, it's really extraordinary. Yeah. I tell people it's really an extraordinary experience. So uh, let, let, let's stay with that for, for a second. So how do people find you? So obviously, if they read The Alien, well, they want to run that, to you. Yes, you know, that's true. Believe, believe it or not, we actually don't have, we don't do any type of advertising. We do just some simple in-house marketing right. and our restaurant is full. Um, I we guess do social just, media, of we course. We just do so, just our own social media, but I think... A lot of it is just small pitches and doing this in-house, coming up with the 180th, you know, coming up with some really Promotions. good promos. We do a lot of great, I think, things that people don't expect from uh, a traditional steakhouse. So, so what, like, tell me some things that you really, that really well, worked Well, I mean, we you. did, um, like, going up to the election last year, I mean, obviously there was a lot of talk and controversy and... You know, I, I was really thinking about, like, how can we capitalize on the fact that there is so much focus on this election, but we didn't really want to get political either way. Mm-hmm. So instead, we decided to um, research all the presidents that had dined at Delmonico's and come up with a menu the week prior to the election uh, featuring all the different items that were, you know, um, on the Delmonico's menu that different presidents like, like John Kennedy um, but the thing that made it even more interesting was I reached out to a former White House chef, hmm. and I asked him to collaborate with our chef. And so we had a White House chef, and we also had dishes from um, different presidents that had dined with us. And that created a buzz, and that was something different. We also had this year a uh, kitchen takeover by a woman, and we did that on the anniversary of the first ladies' luncheon. Mm. And it was the first time a woman was at the helm of the kitchen at Delmonico's. So we had Patty Jackson, who was a chef from uh, Williamsburg, um, take over the kitchen. And we had probably 50 um, women in all different industries join us as we had this great, just great way for women to network on the special occasion of the first ladies' luncheon. We also reached out to these um, artists that had designed the the fearless uh, female statue fearless across girl. from the bill, the bowl, the bowl. 
because um, we really want you know we're always trying to you know stay, stay current exactly yeah. uh, unfortunately Let's, she was she was so inundated with press that she couldn't come to our luncheon but we're hoping next year well, you know, the, the, the bull is what's relevant, you know, to make the steak. So uh, there you go. Uh, I just want to go back to something you said about the, the president. So what – do you remember some of the items? Like what, what was JFK's item? Well, we, we did those items on our menu. So that's, yeah. that's kind of what we did. We, we brought, in the, brought in Bill Clinton's ex-chef and we with, – with Billy. He liked bacon. He definitely liked bacon. He definitely liked bacon. Yeah. He and William Howard Taft, though, I think. Yeah. We had – what did we have for JFK? JFK we did was the turkey, turkey alakin. Turkey oh, alakin. Okay. So chicken alakin was our famous dish. So we did it with turkey. And it was we did a turkey, but we did a half a turkey. So it was a big, gigantic plate. So the presentation was just over the top. Over the top, yeah. Who else? Did, did you remember anyone else? Oh, gosh. Oh. Who else did we have now? Of course, I can't remember. What um, was, uh, so again, well, going back to 1837. So, uh, wow. I mean, you could have had Abraham Lincoln's stuff. Abraham Lincoln definitely was a, uh, you know, I mean, you know, Abraham Lincoln's presidents. I mean, I sometimes I opened up a, you know, not to get off that subject, but I opened up a book and I, I, mean, I see Tesla, modern day of uh, modern modern mm. day of, of electricity. I think. Yeah, yeah. I opened the book. The first chapter says dining at Delmonico's. I go Nikolai Tesla. Yeah. 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 That was his restaurant, and that was the place where he loved to go, and that was the place where he loved to dine, and it's it's unbelievable. And you know, first to accept American Express card. So, all these little stories that we speak yeah. about go back to you know, kind of. So, on those little stories, does that inform your social media? I mean, is part of your social media? Um, I don't mean to make it a history lesson, but it seems like that would be. We let Jeopardy do that because apparently we have like we're on Jeopardy all, all the time. time. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. So they so you need like an Alex Trebek, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, we do that. We do do a lot of. What uh, is chicken parmesan? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what is chicken parmesan? I mean, we do a lot of social media, but I think you know, I don't know how effective social media is, and I believe it is somewhat effective, but I think uh, you know, talk. You know, like people come to, let's say, for example, this Saturday night, we're serving 300 people. You know, people are chattering. The restaurant's full and we're at full capacity. And next thing you know, it's like people leave and they're so excited. And they go tell the people and other people want to come. Yeah. And more people want to come. And I got to get there and I got to get there. And there's all these cool but, little but, viral. But, but that word of mouth, I think, is. Is the, marketing. That is the social media. Without question. Right. I mean, that's still the best advertising ever. Absolutely. Word, word of Correct. mouth. Absolutely. Yeah. Social media is digital word of mouth. I think when done well. It's a, yes. sort of an adjunct to, I think. Yeah, I, I, like I mean, I think the thing that really distinguishes us, as Dennis said, is we are owner-operated. So there's always an owner on premise. Right. You don't find that very often. And no. when people come into Delmonico's, it's it's not doesn't have that same sort of um, corporate yeah. feel that you would expect because it's a, it's a small operation. It's very hands-on. Um, and we always make people feel as if they're coming to our home. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very different. When we say that. small operation, we're, a, we're not a big dining room. We only have mm-hmm. 100, you know, we have 100 seats in our dining room. You know, uh, but when she says small operation, you know, it's, I can be sitting down with customers. If right. I like you, I'll sit down with you, open a bottle of wine It's a very together. nurturing it's, it's environment. A, yeah, we, right. we, make we it spend like a family. lot of time. I mean, do you feel you could franchise it? I mean, is it like... You know, we we, uh, we did do a Delmonico's Kitchen in Midtown, which is our right. casual version of Delmonico's, which is doing really well, and it's a lot of fun. I think, though, you can't really... Uh, re- you can you can redo a Delmonico's. You know, I think, you know, a great fit I was telling Karen uh, for is, you know, put in, like, a cruise line and make, make an experience oh, in a cruise ship, and I think that's where, that's it would, that's where it'd be big, because you could do a breakfast, lunch, dinner, and... 
you know, get people come to the door and talk about there's so much history. We can speak for hours about the history of Delmonico. So I think that's where we can, you know, kind of go rather than, you know, locations throughout the United States. It'll get lost and it'll just. I mean, do you become... feel this is kind of hurt, you know, whatever it is, the Roots Chris of the world or, uh, um, you know, some of these other franchises? I mean, not, not in a disparaging way. I mean, I think it just is there something. I guess my question is. Does it get lost in translation? I mean, we we interviewed a, a woman. I'll just give you a, a little example, and then maybe you, you guys you know can comment on it. We had another woman as part of our program. Uh, she runs a restaurant called Prune. Oh, sure. Uh, Gabrielle Hamilton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, she refuses to franchise. I mean, she refuses to add seats. I mean, if anything, and again, we're looking for disruptive people. And part of her disruption was, I only want one location. And when you talk to a lot of restaurateurs, I mean, you know, the success is, you know, lots of locations. I mean, is that where you guys are It's It's success or it it can also be the demise. I mean, I've I've seen both. Yeah, we've seen, um, you know, my father at one point had owned, I don't know, 12 restaurants running, operating at once, and four of them were supporting the other Mm -hmm. eight. You know, it's a problem. Once an owner's not there, you're just not running it the way it should be run, and then you open more and more. And obviously, the more you open, the more the more headaches, the more aggravation. And, you know, running a restaurant in Manhattan has now become <laughs> virtually impossible because the rents are through the roof, and, you know, between the labor laws and everything else, it's, you know, every other day you're, you know, you're paying an attorney more than you, you can actually take home yourself to stay in business. Right. So it's getting, it, it got to the point of, is it really worth opening any more restaurants? So mm. you have to be on top of your space, from human resources to, you know, making sure that you know, everything is in line with in the restaurant business. And the restaurant business was growing up as a kid. My father said it was about having fun and, and entertaining, and then all of a sudden it turned into like this business. little corporate business. Where yeah. we, same thing with advertising. It used to be a lot more fun. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> what yes. the hell happened? Yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm blaming Wall Street. The guys coming into lunch. Does Wall Street even come into lunch for you guys anymore? Yeah, I mean, we, we have a very mixed, uh, we have, you know, we have everybody that comes to our restaurant. I mean, there's not somebody that I'm ever shocked that walks into our front doors and right. we're like, we've met everybody that comes. I mean, especially when they come into the city, if they're in town, if they play for Barcelona on a soccer team or if they're a, you know, CEO a or, CEO or <clears throat> we, they walk in through the door. We had Tell us someone surprising who came in recently. We had Michael Dell there recently. We had the entire Duke basketball team. We had uh, uh, dinner with uh, Ron Perlman, the actor. I'm. It, it's, it's a, a very it's, mixed. It's, it's a very mixed. mixed. You don't know who comes in through the door, and believe it or not, you get. They're really, and we don't. We're not big, you know, uh, PR pitches where we're like, oh my God, look who's through our door. We just like to go up to them and make sure they're enjoying their meal right. and hang out with them, and we get to hang out with them like normal and, people. And are you guys, uh, you know, using some of the great tools that are out there like Open Table or Reserve? I mean, we use Open Table. We um, we do use Open Table. Um, we don't have any of the other sort of like Big Brother type of. Uh, you know, a lot of people recently. I've, I've been reading a lot about that. There's a lot of people that um, are opposed to that, customers, hmm. um, because they don't want us to know every single thing that they do or like or birthday or, you know. So we sort of s- try to keep as on top of our clients as we can without invading anyone's privacy. You know, we have an amazing private dining business, and Karen runs our our private dining and marketing, and we do some really really cool events because being in that restaurant and being one of the first restaurants to offer private dining to, to patrons 
is, is something really, really interesting. So when people walk in through the doors and they're looking to do a party, we have a 99% book rate because they won't walk out the door. Where are they going to go next? Right. Like either have the party at America's First Restaurant or go have it at... Um, a, a chain. A chain, yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> we'll leave you know, like, We'll leave it at that. So it's it's a cool place to you know come. We have an amazing bar, and it's a pretty good hangout. I've been there since I was 21 years old. I've been in the restaurant business since I was six. So I'm going to be writing my first book soon because uh, before I die from all the stress and so aggravation what, so, that I've been So that, that's a perfect segue to you know, the, the part in the program we talk a little bit about your journey. So six, what was your first job? Um, you know what? I worked for my father. Uh, I, every weekend I went to work for my father and his partner, Milan Likul, which is our uh, CEO of our company. And um, they're just two amazing human beings that opened many, many restaurants are involved in real estate. And they're just so good at what they do. And when I was growing up, you know what? I just went to work. I had three jobs. I was at Boston Market. I was at McDonald's. And I was at ShopRite. And then I went to a pizzeria. I never stopped working. Mm. I love the restaurant business. And by the time, you know, I, I really didn't get to finish uh, college because I became a manager of a ski store out in Long Island because mm. I was so good at what I did. And, you know, I was, I was super hyper, ADD. I have absolutely zero focus. Thank God I have Karen by my side or else I'd have to be heavily medicated. And, um, you know, then uh, that's why I'm drawn into the restaurant business. Is uh, I came into the restaurant business because I'm, you know, I'm hyper, I'm around. I can clean a table. I can take care of business. I can, you know, run a restaurant and, you know, a small empire with, you know, with, with my skills that I had growing up and with some of my faults as and well. And you're the best schmoozer right now. Yeah, People exactly. love him. People well, love me, yeah. You, you, <laughs> you need that. You need that. You need that. That's a part of the business. Yeah. You don't have that, you can <laughs> cut the rest yeah. of business. And yeah. Karen, how did, you, how did you get into all this? My first job in the business was at a restaurant called Wong's Chinese Kitchen. It was a little takeout restaurant in my town where I grew up. And that was my first start. <laughs> Um, Wong had the magic. That was it. You're <laughs> like, I, I want to do this forever. Well, I, the thing I remember the most about that job was that my car always smelled like egg rolls. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. But she had a great career ahead of that. Yeah, I she, did. She I, um, I worked for um, an Italian restaurateur for many, many years. And I, I was the catering director of the United Nations for five wow. years. Yeah. So I've, I've done quite a she few. She ran 22 <laughs> restaurants for Pino Luongo, wow. which yeah. is the only chef in the city. Yeah. yeah. So on the, when you're working with uh, the UN, mm -hmm. I mean, what are those menus like? I mean, do you have to cater to everybody's taste? You, or? Well, not only taste, but religious and dietary restrictions. Mm. So you had to be very careful about that. Um, we had an amazing chef from Switzerland, and he was able to just really replicate a lot of different By the way, that seems like, now that you say it, pretty um, like obvious. Like, of course, have a Swiss chef because they're neutral. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> That's why they did it. <laughs> but Ticino, is that, how do you pronounce the, the original the part of Switzerland where the Delmonico brothers were from? Ticino, Ticino? Ticino. Yeah. See, yeah. I, was, I was just in um, the Italian part of Switzerland. Just That's where they were from. Just by that uh, um, Lake Lugano, which is near Lake mm -hmm, Como. Mm -hmm. What's genius about that is that there it's an Italian... Uh, village, but it's run by the Swiss. And the Swiss run things. They yeah, were there were a lot of. That's why the Delmonico mm -hmm. brothers came here. Swiss, Swiss brothers, Sw opening a French restaurant. Yeah. They were probably Italian. Geniuses. Yeah, it is genius. Did an, um, amazing yeah. job. And Those are like the three awesome dynamics for a restaurant. Lorenzo, Pietro. They changed Giovanni. their names. Lorenzo, Giovanni, and Pietro. Excellent. So. At this point in the program, we ask for some advice. 
So if you're a young restaurateur, there actually there's a, there a kid who used to work for us who was an amazing chef. He, he left our business too. I don't know, everything, he, put, he posts stuff on, integ- on um, like Instagram, I want to eat my phone. I mean, <laughs> this stuff is amazing. I mean, uh, his name is David Ma, fantastic uh, uh, creative and a great chef. What should a guy like David do? I mean, if you want to start a restaurant in New York, what's, what's a piece of advice? You're like built. <laughs> No, I think the business has to be in your blood. You have to love the business. You have to be to love what you do. 100% um, in it. And I think people that are, most people that I know really are in it and love it. I mean, I could not imagine doing anything else. I absolutely love it. Every day is different. I meet different people. I have wonderful food and wine. And uh, Get along with you. I your can workers. spend other people's money. I plan parties for people and I can see my dream sort of and their dream, you know, come to uh, fruition. fruition. And um, You're a dream maker. I am. That's how I, you know, really define what I do. But I think, you know, like you say, Dennis, I mean, it's it's been in your blood since you know you. I don't think you I can found it when it. you were six, right? I mean, you sort of said, "Wow, this yeah, is." Yeah, you know what? Um, you know, for me to wake up and open a restaurant and to get out of my house at five thirty to open the doors and to lock it at one o'clock in the morning is just normal. To everybody else, would be like, "You're not what working eight <laughs> hours a day." Your abnormality is uh, yeah. You know, so, so, and you know, when you disappear, you don't let anybody know. You just go and, you know, (laughs) I'm in the restaurant somewhere since it's a big place with our private dining spaces. We can't find each other sometimes. We're like up and down. We're there. there. But I mean, those hours are crazy too. I mean, just on that point, you know, we live in a world now where uh, people are questioning people who work long hours. I mean, are you seeing that uh, with your staff? Is I, there like pushback? On- I work. I work. I work a lot less. Our waiters work a lot less. No, nobody really works. I mean, now you know, in the past five or six years, I have two little boys. I have a thirteen-year-old, two little boys, so a thirteen-year-old and a ten-year-old. Um, I'm spending more time with them, and you know, I I have other people that work with us that are like family, and they take care of people like family. So. I don't have a problem walking away from the restaurant. You have to have I, a balance. You know, I, I go away. You know, I go to Cro- I'm from Croatia, so I go mm. to Croatia for a month, and nobody notices that I'm even missing. I'll just call. I just call them from the outside. Say, yeah, I'll be there in two minutes, and I show up three weeks later. <laughs> <laughs> Last thing, you know, there are enough restaurants in New York City for one person to eat out every meal for 54 years, wow. and still not eat at the same place twice. Wow. That, that's a fact. So, a credit to you guys for having such an amazing icon so Dennis Karen thank you for sharing a bit of your world here thank Thank you for for having having us us. it's good and I guess now we can eat bon appetit (laughs) (laughs) all right great well thanks guys thank you you you've been listening to the Disruptor Series podcast brought to you by TBWA Shy Day New York craving more disruption visit us at tbwashyatny.tumblr.com